Today, you can open your Bibles up to Philippians. We'll be looking at chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. Uh, title of today's sermon is Help Wanted. I'm sure you can get the idea behind that. Uh, so I'm getting a little bit of feedback up here. I don't know if it's that thing. But... So uh, just to give you a background of the passage that we're looking at, uh, Paul is not able to go to the, Philipp- uh, the church in Philippi. He's in prison. So he needs someone. He's someone that he can trust uh, to go to that church. And he has someone. That someone is Timothy. And that is, we're going to be looking at that passage today and why Timothy was so important to Paul and why Paul could trust Timothy as sending him on this little mission. So the Philippian, the church in Philippi, is one of Paul's babies, and also uh, Timothy had a part in planning that church. So they care very much about that church. So Paul wants to make sure that this church is going to be in good hands. And he's concerned for the church because the church is anxious about him. Uh, But also the church is experiencing a little bit of trouble. We know that in his letter to the Philippians that he talks about disunity. And it's also possible that there is some false teaching kind of coming into the church. So he wants to make sure they're okay. He wants to give them an update on himself. Uh, So he hopes to send someone that he can trust, and Timothy is that guy. Hence, help wanted. I'm sure you remember when you were young and you had gathered with, I don't know, do you guys, did you guys live on blocks with many neighbors around you? And did you have kids that you would play with and you'd play all those different games together? We grew up in that, in that setting. We'd have all those games and uh, it was either like dodgeball or kickball or manhunt. And you remember going out and choosing teams, right? You know, some people hated that process. Uh, some people actually absolutely relished it. Uh, I always wanted to be a team captain, surprise. That's because I wanted to win. So I wanted to be a team captain because I wanted to win because I wanted to be able to pick my team, right? You remember there was always someone who was good at a certain sport. So if it was dodgeball, it was Bob or something. You know, if it was manhunt, maybe it was Mary because she was small and she can get into different places. Whatever it was, you had an idea of who you wanted to pick. But that didn't mean you would always get that person because then you'd have to do some sort of game in order to pick first, right? Like rock, paper, scissors, which the real name is anyone? Anyone? Rochambeau. Did you know that? Rochambeau. And you go, one, two, three, shoot. And you would do, you would cheat if you could, in those games just so you could get the first pick. And you knew exactly who you wanted to choose. And even if you didn't get the first pick, say you didn't get the first pick, there would be like two people on your team, like Mary and Bob. And you'd be like, hey, John, I'll trade you Mary and Bob for Bill. And Mary and Bob would be looking at you like, what is your problem? And you're like, don't take it personally. I just want this guy. And then you trade Mary and Bob. You would do anything in your power to get the person that you know would do a good job. Reminds me of this commercial, Charles Barkley commercial. You've seen this one? It's easy. Easy banking was what, like, choosing Charles Barkley on your pickup team. Charles is all excited, like he didn't know he was going to get chosen. chosen. Same thing is when you are a pastor, when you have a ministry. A Timothy is that guy. A Timothy is a guy that you want in your church. A Timothy is a guy that you want in ministry. Paul has a Timothy. 
Timothy is someone you hope for. He's someone you look for. He's someone you need that you can depend on. And if you have a help wanted sign outside of your church door, you want a Timothy to apply. Paul has a Timothy. And he, but really God, sends Timothy on a mission. Later on, we know that Timothy is going to be sent somewhere else to Ephesus on a bigger mission. He's trusted. Paul wants to send him for a variety of reasons. In this passage today we're looking at, we're going to see three. So why this passage today? Well, when we look at a passage like this, we see a few things. We look at God's heart for his church. We look at what the qualifications are that God looks for in a minister. And also, we look at qualifications or a person or an individual that God wants us to imitate. And of course, whenever there's an individual set before us as a church to imitate, we all know that we can only imitate that individual through the power of Jesus Christ, right? Through the Holy Spirit. Because Timothy here imitates just that person, Jesus Christ. It serves as an example for us, but also a reminder to the church that these are the qualifications that we are to look for in our leaders, in ministers. So Paul gives us three qualifications here. I'm going to start with the first one. The first qualification is of a Timothy is he is believer burdened, verses 19 through 20. Probably help if I open to that passage. So follow along with me in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For, first reason, for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He hopes to send Timothy, and he hopes to send Timothy for a reason. Paul and Timothy are kindred spirits. They're alike one another, and they are alike one another in one primary way. They both have a concern for the welfare of believers. They are burdened with the welfare of believers. Over a series of five years, Nevada's primary psychiatric hospital found a novel way to deal with their mentally ill patients. Do you know what that novel way was? They put them on Greyhound buses and shipped them out to cities and towns across America. I think it was called, actually called Greyhound Therapy. I know, you're shaking your heads. It gets crazier. According to a newspaper report, since July 2008, Rawson Neal Psychiatric Hospital in Las Vegas, I guess that explains a little bit, has transported more than 1,500 patients to other cities via Greyhound bus sending at least one person to every state in the continental United States. In 2012, the psychiatric hospital bussed out nearly 400 patients to a total of 176 cities across the nation. The article noted that this solution to the problem actually hurts real people. For example, a man named James Brown... Brown, who had schizophrenia, was discharged in February and put on a bus headed for Sacramento. This was a place that he had never visited, uh, where he knew absolutely no one. Mr. Brown arrived in Sacramento without medication, without identification or access to any Social Security payments. He spent three days 
lingering in an emergency room until social workers were able to find him temporary housing. Nevada mental health officials, they acknowledged some mistakes. However, they did not apologize for this greyhound therapy policy. Okay, what's the job of the hospital? <laughs> Is the job of the hospital to care for those patients? You would think that putting people on a Greyhound bus and sending them away is probably not a really good and healthy idea for these individuals. Well, it's interesting uh, because Paul has a problem. What is Paul's problem? He says, I have absolutely nobody else. Who is Paul talking about? Paul is talking about other Christians, other ministers of the gospel whose primary concern should be the welfare of believers. Instead, they are more concerned about other things and they just as soon as put them on Greyhound buses and just get rid of the problem altogether. Paul says, I have nobody, no one else, of kindred spirit, save one. What's this guy's name? His name is Timothy. Notice the kindred spirit is not in likes or dislikes. It is not in personality. It is not in ability. It is in concern for the church. That is Paul's burden, and Paul knows that Timothy shares that burden. It is a burden that he says he knows this man, Timothy, is genuinely concerned for your welfare. Number one quality of a minister of God is that they are absolutely concerned and burdened. And this word for concern is a word that Paul is going to use later on. Do you know where he says it? He says, do not be anxious for anything. So there is an anxiety, and I believe this is a godly anxiety. It's a godly anxiety that is taken on by the ministers of the church. And really, I think it's a godly anxiety that we are to have for each other. I am to be concerned in a godly fashion for all of you. That is my primary job. I can identify with Paul here, and I, I can't always identify with Paul in a lot of areas because he's way out of my league, but I can identify with Paul here. Paul has a burden. He cannot make it to the church of Philippi. So when he sends Timothy, he's basically saying, when you get Timothy, you get me. We are so much alike in this way that I feel like I can just send him knowing that you are going to be in good hands with Timothy. Two years ago, we started this job, and I, I thought I had anxiety before. We started looking for a pastor, and I, I just can't tell you how much exponentially that increased uh, when I began the process of joining the uh, the pulpit committee, and we began looking at individuals that we know need to care for this church. That was, I was, it was just unbelievable. I've never been more stressed out in my entire, you can ask my wife how concerned I was. And this was one of my primary concerns. This was one of my biggest prayers to the Lord. Lord, I want someone who is going to love this church. I want someone who is going to willingly take on that burden 
of all of you who are sitting here before me and all of you who are watching online today. And it was really, really hard because I had one person in mind. The first person that came to my mind is the person that is sitting back there today. There's no one else that I knew. I mean, there are other folks, granted, but when we looked for a pastor, he was the first person we asked. He's a kindred spirit. I knew Pastor Kevin because of his concern for the believers that he was already working with. I watched him over those 10 years be burdened with the welfare of those individuals. I'm like, there is no one else that if I can't be here or if something happens to me that I feel like I can trust, except that guy right there. All good pastors, all good leaders, all good ministers have this burden. Listen to what Paul says about this. He says uh, in 11, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. apart from such external things, he just gave all his trials, he says this, I have this daily pressure and concern for all the churches. Folks, that's a, that's a, that's a daily pressure and concern that every single minister of God needs to have. It's a concern for the welfare, and it's a genuine concern. That's what he says about Timothy. When you get Timothy, you're getting the real deal. You're not getting someone who's putting on airs, who's, who's putting on a fake love for the church, who's, who's doing all of these things because they want to look good or they're trying to, to use it as a stepping stone to further their career, career. There is a genuine burden for God's people. Number one qualification, absolutely crucial. Kevin and I are kindred spirits in this. And it's not a kindred spirit because we have, we both like the same things. Because we don't. He was going to be disciplined this week because he brought beef stew into the office. We're different. But this is one thing that we share. And I know that this is one thing that our pastoral search committee was concerned about. It's one of the most important aspects of a minister. They can have all the degrees in the world. They can be charismatic. They can be funny. They can be willing to, to take challenges and willing to step out. But if they don't have this love and concern for the church, they're not for the church. He gives Timothy as an example, as someone to put before us to imitate and as I said, there are so many qualifications of a shepherd, but this one is indispensable. Taking care of people is hard. Church ministry is not easy. Kevin, I'm sure you already know that. Uh, some sheep bite. You need to be prepared for that. <laughs> one of my maxims, my, I have a maxim for, for ministry, it's, it's God is good, I'm a jerk, and people are strange. So those things carry on throughout ministry. Um, but this is absolutely crucial uh, when we are called to do something for the Lord. It's just a genuine concern for people. 
for their spiritual growth, for their well-being, for the good things that God has for them. That's why you want a Timothy to apply to your help wanted ad. He does this. Why does Timothy, why is a Timothy able to do this? Well, it's because of the second qualification. He is Christ-centered, verse 21. For, another reason for, they all seek after their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. So he gives these reasons. Why is Timothy able to be concerned for the welfare of others? It is because Timothy is Christ-centered. Timothy is seeking the interest of Christ first and foremost, and because Timothy is seeking the interest of Christ, it flows naturally out of his life to be concerned for the welfare of others. I'm sure you know of uh, Apple's story and their rise to fame. Robert uh, Kringley, in his book, Accidental Empires, tells about the early days of the Apple Corporation. He said in the late 1970s, Apple had grown beyond the point that all, that all the employees knew each other on site. So it was decided, like grown-up companies, that they should all have name badges. As is the corporate way, it deemed that these badges should be numbered, and as corporate lore decrees, the number assigned would be based on the order in which the employees had joined the company. Makes sense. It's a good way of doing it. Logical. The author writes this. He says, Steve Wozniak, so Steve Wozniak was Steve Jobs' helper or co-founder. He said, Steve, Steve Wozniak was declared employee number, number one. Steve Jobs was declared employee number, number two. Do you think Steve Jobs liked being number two? Just on his little badge? No, he absolutely hated it. He did not want to be number two on his badge. As a matter of fact, Steve Jobs didn't want to be second in anything. Jobs argued that he, rather than Woz, Wozniak, should have the sacred number one. This is why, even though they were co-founders, so he said, because J comes before W. So now we've resorted to kindergarten tactics, which I think we are. So we're going alphabetical. So because I'm following alphabetical ahead of you, I need to be number one. Ah, that didn't fly. So they said, no, we're not going to do that. So the, you know what he did next? I got a better idea. Number zero is not taken. And because number zero comes before number one, I will be absolutely glad to be number zero. Now, he's kind of right in a way, isn't he? Because he's number zero. I mean, that's a number that we need to kind of remember. But this is how crazy people are. And this is what happens in leadership. And if you read the story of Steve Jobs, you know that all he did was seek after his interests. That's what he wanted. He was talented. He was smart. He was gifted. This guy was an absolute genius. But it created a toxic workplace environment because Steve Jobs loved Steve Jobs. There's only one, we are number zero. It's absolutely essential to remember, and Jesus Christ is number one. Jesus Christ is to be the guiding center of absolutely 
everything we do. Who are the they that Paul is talking about? These are fellow ministers of the gospel. Unbelievable when we think about it. These are individuals who might be preaching the gospel in order to get Paul in deeper trouble. And they are preachers. They are ministers of the gospel. They are other workers. So Paul's like, look, there's absolutely no one of kindred spirit. Why? Because they're seeking after their own self-interest. He's talking about fellow Christians. And what it was happening in Paul's day can happen today. People can come into the church and come into ministries and be like, oh, I'm all about Jesus Christ, but really they're not. They'll be all about themselves. And all they want to do is build little kingdoms for themselves. Timothy is not that way. Timothy is seeking the interests of others because he is primarily seeking the interests of Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is a successful minister. There's a weird teaching out right now that says that you, you need to love yourself first before you can love other people. And you've got to be careful. I understand where they are coming from with that, but that, that's, that's a dangerous area. Do you know why? I have absolutely no problem loving myself. Every day I love myself. My problem is that I don't love others well, and I don't always seek after the interests of Christ. This word for seek here, they are the other ministers, they are other Christians, and this word for seek is in the present tense. So I'm kind of relieved when we hear that, because how many people here constantly are seeking after the interests of Jesus Christ? If you are, you're dead, because then you're in heaven, and you're not with us right now. Because I don't always seek after the interests of Jesus Christ. And in ministry, it's hard. In ministry, sometimes you kind of want to close up. You don't want to minister to others. Maybe you don't want to do something that you know you're supposed to do. So this is in the present tense. It's a constant, continual action. It's like you see those people walking their dogs outside, and really they're not walking their dogs at all, and they're like getting pulled all around. And so if, if, if self-interest were, were a scent, these people would be bloodhounds. And all they're doing is seeking after their own self-interest, whatever it is that is going to make them comfortable, whatever it is that is on their agendas, whatever it is that is going to make them happy, they are constantly seeking after that. Timothy has a different center. That center is Jesus Christ. And folks, this is Sanctification 101. Paul divides people up into two categories, those those who are usable in the kingdom of God and those who are not usable in the kingdom of God. Those who are usable in the kingdom of God are those who have Jesus Christ as their center. And they're allowing that fellowship and that relationship with Jesus Christ to flow through their lives and impact everything they do. They're allowing Jesus Christ to set the agenda and they're allowing Jesus Christ's attitude to come forward through them to carry out that agenda. It's sanctification. This is what it's all about. It's putting Christ in the center and killing oneself, putting to death our desires in the flesh and allowing Christ, no matter where you're at, whether you're in, it's in your family, whether it's in your work, whether in your community, in your church, making Jesus Christ as the center and allowing him to flow through you and putting his interest first. Timothy does what Paul says to the Philippians earlier. He says, don't just seek after the interests 
of yourself, but seek after the interests of others like who? Like Jesus Christ. I have a prayer for my daughter when she gets married. I'm praying for that man right now. This is one of my primary prayers, is that he will love the Lord Jesus Christ above all else, and he will love him properly, because if he does that, he's going to love her just fine. The same prayer that we had for a minister, same prayer that we have for a pastor, and guess what? That prayer was answered. Watched Pastor Kevin over the years, how he has persevered through ministry, being Christ-centered, making sure that Christ is honored in everything that he has done. Absolutely essential that this is lived out and applied in real time. Because people can come into churches and we can say that we're Christ-centered, but all we do is have our own agenda and carry that out. And this is a buffer. Being Christ-centered is a buffer. You know, one of my biggest prayers as, as, as a pastor is I, I have all these plans and I have ideas. The elders know that. I bring one, a new plan every month, every week. Sometimes it feels like to those guys. But I always pray. I'm like, Lord, can you, can you just make sure that I am submitting my agenda to you? That, that my interests are really your interests for this church? Can you guide me in this? And not only can you guide me in this, can you give me the right attitude to carry it out? Because I don't always do that. Sometimes you just want to plow through. And we've seen ministries. We've, see, we've, we've heard about them. And people come in and they just pff, wipe it out. Allowing Christ to set the agenda and allowing Christ's attitude to flow through as it's carried out. And it provides a buffer on the other end because... Part of being focused on our own self-interest is I'm concerned that you like me, right? I want to be liked. And if I want to be liked, then am I going to make hard decisions? No, not all the time. I just read a good article about people-pleasing in ministry, and I fall into that. You know, because I don't want to make you upset. I don't want to do things that is going to upset you or hurt you, but is is your welfare, is my welfare, are those things always that we like? No, I don't. No. When God says, I have something good for your welfare, you're like, yes, I can't wait to see what that is. No, because we know the process sometimes that we have to go through to get there. So being Christ-centered puts that buffer because if you're seeking the interests of Christ, you may have to make hard decisions. And Kevin, you know that in ministry. Keep Christ the center of your ministry and he's going to set your agenda, but also he's going to give you the strength and the power to carry that through. Because being Christ-centered isn't safe. It's not safe at all. As a matter of fact, look where it landed, Apostle Paul. Where's Paul writing from? He's in prison. But being Christ-centered keeps self and safety out of the way. Kevin, as you enter this ministry, it's a reminder that we have a job for you. We have expectations for you, but guess what? His job and expectations for you come first. And sometimes they may, they may challenge us. You continue to keep Christ as a center as you have over the years, and I know that you will be successful. The third and final qualification 
of a Timothy is he is character confirmed, verses 22 through 24. But you know of his proven worth that he served me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will be coming shortly. The guy tells a story about when he was younger. He's 11 years old and his brother Joe was 15 years old. And he thought the world of his brother Joe. He said, I was sure he could lift small cars and jump small buildings without breaking a sweat. He was the coolest, toughest, smartest person in my universe. And he said, I wanted to be just like him. He said, about a month before Christmas that year, he said he was ready to give him something. He was going to give him the fort. This was no ordinary fort or not just some clubhouse. He said it was a two-room suite that Joe and his friends had built into the upper half of their garage. He said the floor spanned the width of the garage. It had wall-to-wall carpeting. It had built-in colored lights. It had a mattress. It sounds like a house, a small apartment for a child. And it also had a suspended cabinet in which there was a TV that was placed in stereo. He said, to my 11-year-old mind, it was the most desirable place on earth. And Joe said he was handing it over to me. December passed in anticipation, he said, and he said, I was thinking of all the things that I would do with my friends in this wonderful fort, wonderful fort. He said, then on Christmas Eve, Joe approached me with a grave expression on his face, with the authority in his voice that only big brothers can intone. He said that he told me he had reconsidered giving me the fort. He didn't know what to say. He said, maybe next year. He said, I felt my little world crumbled into pieces. But I didn't throw a tantrum. I said, I figured it was his fort. He could do with it what he wants. And I said, okay. He went to bed. Christmas morning found a large box with his name on it. When he opened the box, he found a smaller box. When he opened that box, a smaller box. His brother had kept the key on a chain that he wore around his neck. And when he opened up that last box, there it was. His brother was smiling at him. And he said, I was testing you. I wanted to make sure that you were ready. When God calls someone to the ministry, he's handing over to them more than a fort, isn't he? More than a clubhouse. He's really handing over to them people, a flock to care for. And these individuals need to have a proven character. That's what Paul says about Timothy. Timothy is not a Joe Schmo off the street. He's not this guy who got his ordination degree online as he lives in his parents' basement And here he is presenting himself. This was one of the other scariest aspects of hiring from outside the church. We had absolutely no idea who we were going to get. 
You can have a piece of paper. You can have someone, and, and I see your face, Barbara. You remember, we were worried. We had, we had no idea. And we would read some resumes, and you'd be like, okay, we're just going to put this one aside. Do not open until whenever. And, and it, was, it was really hard because you just had no, no idea. You keep saying it over and over again. And we see what happens in ministries. We've seen it happen locally where they'll hire outside and they'll bring these people in and it's like a scorched earth policy. And there's nothing left. And then these guys are off on to the next church. I was talking earlier this morning with someone about how, how, just, how blessed we are to have someone that we have watched over the last 10 years. That's crazy. Proven character. That's exactly what Paul says of Timothy. You know him. This isn't a stranger. You've seen him. You've watched him. You know of his proven, and instead of worth, I think a better translation is character. You know how faithful he has been, and it's a character that is proven in two aspects. In loyalty to Paul, and loyalty to the gospel, but also in humility and submission. Hear what he says about Timothy. Is Timothy the guy who gets, graduates Bible college and is like, I'm going to start my own church and it's going to be awesome. Is that Timothy? No. What does he do? He sits underneath Paul as a son would to a father. There's an idea of submission and humility there. And trust me, that is something we all need to learn if we are ever going to be in a leadership position, and I was one of them. I remember asking my wife, hey, am I ready to be a pastor? She said, no. I got angry. Hashtag, not a pastor. That was my problem. Why did I get angry? Because I was prideful. This was years ago. I was prideful. And I'm like, what do you mean I can't be a pastor? I'm going to show you I can be a pastor. And God's like, no, you won't. So what did, what, what, what did I go through? I went through 11 years of Long Creek, sitting underneath guys, listening to guys who weren't following the rules themselves and allowing God to tell me where to go, when to go, and how to go, and how to do it. And I hated it. I kicked and screamed the whole way through. But it taught me something about myself. I realized, look, I got an issue. I wanted to quit Bible college early and start my own church. no. That's not it. These people who come into these ministries need to have a proven character. They need to be able to sit underneath someone. They need to be able to be faithful to the ministry, even in tough times. And that's exactly what Timothy has done. And that's exactly the pastor that we've gotten today. What a, what a blessing that is. To know that we have someone that before being a leader knows how to do what? Follow. It's your best leaders. Your best leaders are those who are good followers first. Those who have been faithful. Folks, I'll say it over and over and over again. If you want God to use you and if you want greater responsibility in his kingdom, do the little things well. Do them well. Be faithful. Be loyal to where God has you right now.
because that is what is most important. And we, I've watched Kevin over the years, 10 years, struggling, persevering. Timothy could have ended up in jail just like Paul, but he risked it. He sacrificed. Pastor Kevin has done the same thing. Sacrificing for the sake of the gospel, submitting to those above him, and being loyal the whole way through. As a matter of fact, that's why he didn't want to leave in the first place. Two years when we asked him, he said, no, I can't. I'm going to stay. I'm going to finish this out. And I'm like, okay, but that's why we want you because you're so faithful. So then we began to pray and yeah, that's where we got you. (laughs) Kept praying and praying and praying. See, you can have someone who says they're, they're followers of Christ. You can have someone who says they're called to the ministry. But if that calling isn't confirmed, if that calling, if their character isn't a proven character in the, in the trials, in the tough times, and that's exactly what Timothy was. He was, a, he was proven in the fire. And because of that, God used him more and more and more to the point of where he handed over the church at Ephesus to him. And then Timothy, Paul says it repeatedly, repeatedly. He says, don't lay hands on someone too quickly, right? He also says a, a leader shouldn't be a, a new convert lest they fall into the snare of the devil, which is what? Pride. And he says of deacons, deacons, people who are serving the church, let them be what? Tested in this. I think sometimes we have these grandiose plans. I know I was one of them. And we think we're going to do all these wonderful things, but the little things before us we don't want to do because we just want to step out into the spotlight. That's not Timothy. And that's not the guy that we have here today. And I am thankful that we were able to bring someone in that we, we know. You, we know Kevin. We know his history. We know how faithful he's been, not just to his ministry, but to his family as well. We know his family, how faithful his family has been, how faithful Jenny has been through all of these trials that they have been through. Is there a reason why we would question why Paul hopes to send Timothy? Do you see what he does here? He does, I hope to send Timothy, and then he finishes, I hope to send Timothy, and in the middle he sandwiches the reasons why he hopes to send Timothy. And I hope that we see the value that God places on an individual, what God places as valuable in an individual for his work. Because I'll tell you what, it's not always looked for. And these qualities aren't always worked on. A love and a genuine concern for others, an unwavering Christ-centered life, and a proven faithfulness in ministry. Folks, God cares for His churches by sending them a Timothy. This is the guy that you want to respond to your help wanted ad. This is the guy who is going to get the job done the way that God wants it done. This is the guy that God sends to bless and care for his churches. Does this sound like someone we know? He's sitting right back there. And a lot of choices for a sermon to do for, for Pastor Kevin. And, and Kevin, this is, of course, always a reminder. But I just wanted you to hear that you're here for a reason, and it's because we saw these characteristics in you already. We're already blessed to have known you. You've already exceeded expectations. And you're going to be challenged, and you're going to have to remember these things. 
But now that blessing is just exponentially multiplied because now you are with us in this deeper fashion. With the pastor, there are many expectations and you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. We'll make them together. I just want to remind you to continue to be the person that you already are. Because it's that person that brought you here today. The person that has a love and concern and a genuine burden for the church and for believers. The person who is Christ-centered in everything he does, whether it be ministry or family, and the person that has been loyal and faithful to the gospel ministry. You're not the Timothy. You're Kevin. You're a Timothy. And you're not me either. You may never ever be a good fly fisherman like I am, and that's okay. (laughs) You don't have to be. We want you to be Pastor Kevin. And remember, God sent Timothy for a very specific purpose at a very specific time. And he's done the same with you. You're here for a reason. We may have plans for you, but his plan for you trumps all of those plans. We want you to challenge us We want you to challenge yourself, and we want you to allow Him to use you mightily, you and your family, for this church. And I promise you this, you continue to be the person that brought you here in the first place, and you'll be successful. And it won't surprise me or shock me in the least that years from now, you're standing right here preaching another sermon to another Timothy. Pastor Kevin, Jenny, Evie, Ada, and Laurel, we welcome you to the leadership team of Galilee Church. We are absolutely blessed to have you with us. I have a bag I think back there, Sarah, can you bring that up? And Kevin and Jenny, can you just come up here with this real quick? If any elders want to join me, uh, we're just going to pray for them as we commission them into this ministry. I did have a, um, what's that guy's name, Bill? Who's that little clay guy, Bill? What's his name? I had a little Bill doll that every time you pressed it, it said, oh, no, oh, no. And I was going to give you that just so anytime things got stressful in the ministry, but that's out actually at our free pile. But we have a gift for you guys. So hopefully things that you can use. And I, when, when Kevin told me uh, about the fact that he was thinking about this, I, he, the, the term, the phrase was, I cried over my burrito. And I, and I did. And I, I cried uh, mainly because I, I felt that that release of all of that concern was gone because I knew we could trust you. We're really, really blessed to have you and your family with us, and and we're really excited to see what God is going to do through you. Why don't we pray together? Father, you have called Kevin and his family in this very particular way for a very specific time and for a very specific reason. 
Lord, we thank you for the work that you have already done through him, through Jenny, through his family. Lord, and we pray that you just encourage them today. Let them know how much we already love them. Let them know how much we already have been blessed for them, by them. Lord, and we pray that you lift them up. We pray that you just set them on fire for you. Lord, we pray that as he faces challenges in this ministry, that you will guide him, that he will, you will continue to be his center. We pray that you grant him wisdom. We pray that you grant him power and the perseverance to do the job that you have called them to do. And Lord, we ask you that you would help us as a church to continue to watch over them, to protect them, to care for them, and to encourage them in the calling that you have placed upon them. And Lord, we absolutely praise you for answering this prayer today. Never thought it could be possible, and it taught me to pray big. And I pray that we all continue to pray big, Kevin joins us in those prayers for your ministry, Lord, for your glory, and for the name of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.